Hey, buddy. Yes, Alice? How was your most recent viewing of Rogue One? Oh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, yeah, we watched it together with a bunch of our uh, listeners, and um, it was great. We sure did, and it was. <laughs> it was so much fun. We had, I don't know, like seven or eight people tune in to watch with us, uh, which is a great number for a Monday afternoon. <laughs> and um, yeah, everybody got together, and, and, and we watched it, and we talked about it, and we, uh, we did... Uh, a little game where we tallied some uh, fun statistics ar- around the film. Um, that was a that was a good time. We tallied uh, how many times anybody shouted somebody else's name. Uh, how many how times? M- how many was that? Uh, that was eleven times. Only eleven. We had eleven, eleven, and like four of those eleven were Bay shouting Chirrut's name at the end. Ooh, oh no! I know. Ouch. Yeah. Um, we tallied how many times anybody swooshed a cape. How many times was that? Uh, about seven times. Seven cape swooshes. You know, yeah. there were a couple of borderline cases where a cape was fluttering, like in the wind. Yeah, um, but, but I really doesn't... only, only, like, if it really fluttered in the wind. Like, that, like, like at the very beginning, when Krennic's standing in the wind, he gets one cape swoosh for that. And when right. he's walking through um, the, when he's on Scarif and he's walking through the the room towards the window and his cape is just flowing behind him that one right. gets a cape swoosh okay yeah, it's so very it, it's very the, dramatic if the cape is the focus of a dramatic moment it, it is counted as swooshing in yeah that so moment. so yeah. we got seven of those and we did count how many times somebody said a prayer which was a full round of i'm one in the force and the force is with me or the force is with me and I'm one with the force. There were also a couple of cases that were clear on screen prayers to the force. Yeah, uh, when, when Jin is holding her crystal. Yeah, when Jin's holding her crystal, when Bodhi is trying to get in the Scare of Shield gate, that counts. Um, so for that one, I had 27 prayers. 27 prayers in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, that easily tops anything that any movie with a Jedi in it, for sure. Absolutely. Um, because for the Jedi, it would be all meditation, and it wouldn't be very often. Um, we, would, we would see the Force being utilized, but not um, besieged, almost, right. in these cases. Yeah, you don't get a lot of moments where, where, um, where anybody talks to the Force or, or prays internally. For the most part in a Star Wars movie, um, that kind of like faith in the force is expressed by doing and not by and not by saying. But we don't have any force users here. Or well, Chirrut's close. Yeah, um, Chirrut is more of a, a vessel for the force than a force user. You know exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was a really really interesting. So next time we do a watch party, which will be uh, sometime in May, uh, we will be tallying different numbers and uh, and we'd like to um, we'd like you to join us. Yeah, uh, search us up on Twitter. The show can be found at Rogue Fun Pod. Um, and there you will find links to the discord server, uh, the those Happy Podcasts Discord server, where you can uh, join in on future screenings. We do other stuff too. like uh, we are recreating Scarif base in the video game Planet Coaster. Yes, uh, which as is a theme so park. much fun. So much fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's turning out really good. So we stream that on Discord. And if you um, 
want to play trivia with us sometime, we're going to be hosting trivia nights. We do all of that through the streaming features on our on our Discord. So yeah, find us on Twitter or um, drop me an email, uh, roguefunpod at gmail.com, and we can get you links to, uh, to join. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, joining and links to things, um, if you want to support the show, you can find us on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Those Happy Places is the Patreon for all of the shows that we do. Um, we'll talk more about that at the end of the show. But in the meantime, we want to spend a special thanks, send a special thanks to uh, Charles Castine and Aslam Chaudhry, who are, are uh, who are at a level where they get their name shouted out in every episode. And if that sounds like something you want, you can go check out the Patreon and see how to support the show. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much to those two patrons. Uh, we could not do what we do without your generous donations. So thank you so much for being there. Absolutely. So uh, shall we get started? Yeah, uh, let's jump in. Uh, today, we are talking about two very important scenes from the film Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Right. We're talking about where we left off last time. Uh, our our heroes, our team, has escaped from Edu, and they are flying away. And we uh, we cut from uh, from when the lights go out as they are flying away from from Edu. And we are going to talk all the way through that scene and the scene with Director Krennic and Darth Vader on Mustafar. Um, and then uh and so so we've got only two scenes to talk about but they are really dense scenes and we have a lot to say so we're gonna we're gonna start from the beginning yeah i mean in terms of runtime this is maybe five minutes six Um, minutes it's (laughs) not very much at all but the uh the conversations and the nonverbal communication in these two scenes are remarkable they're very dense. Um, yeah, and and every line is so loaded with um, emotion and also motivations, and it's just very well written and very well staged and very well acted. And we, yeah, it, this is the scene with the fight on the on the ship leaving Edu is one of my favorite scenes in the entire film, um, and it's like mostly because of Felicity Jones and Diego Luna's performances here, which are incredible, but watching this close watching this we are i was able to pull specific little things out um that i really really enjoyed looking at so let's uh let's start from the from the top the music goes out where the lights go out and the music drops away and the lights come back on and it is quiet on the ship and yeah we are flying away uh it, it is the the sort of quiet after everybody knows that bad things have happened and they're waiting for somebody to say something first. Uh, that extremely tense, uh, just just incredible silence that you could cut with a knife. Yes, this, yeah, very, very, very intense silence that is, um, that is punctuated by these shots of everyone's faces. Everyone is exhausted. They're soaked to the bone from all the rain on Edu. Everyone's tense. Their faces are pale. Um, and everybody kind of looks around at each other like, uh, who's going to who's gonna talk first? You talk first. I talk first. <laughs> it's and... funny because, because <laughs> normally in Star Wars, when our, hero, when our heroes have made a daring escape from whatever, usually an Imperial base of some kind, it, up to and including the Death Star, we're like, 
super jazzed about that, actually. Really like, jazzed about the escape, like, <laughs> or fighting about something that happened and yelling at each other. There's some there's some kind of, like, dialogue, some kind of action. And this is an incredibly s- still, quiet moment. There's a lot of talk about how Rogue One is a darker, grittier Star Wars. And... I, I don't know if that's 100% true. I think when people say dark and gritty, they sometimes mean different things um, than what Rogue One provides. But this is definitely a a closer-to-life post-battle scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. They've just fought for their lives and narrowly escaped, and everybody made mistakes, and it's not great. The outlook is not good. And now they all have to deal with that fallout. Like, this is the only time we get to see the crew doing this because of the rest of Rogue One. Um, But, wow. Yeah. Like, here we go again. Exactly. I'm going to talk about Jin for a second. Jin here is, she's kind of, like, dead center in in the little room. And she's the focus of everyone's attention. Everybody knows what just happened to Jin. Um, Even if they weren't there, they're like, oh... We went for Jin's dad, and Jin's dad isn't here with us. Obviously, something must have happened. Something really bad must have happened. And uh, she's just, her hair is plastered so tight to her head, and her eyes are so big in her face, she almost looks skeletal. And she, her, her makeup has smudged under her eyes and everything. She just looks so, like, worn out and exhausted and angry and her fists are clenched really tight. And this is, she is just, it's like some part of her died back there on that platform. And it, and it did, that was her father. That was like the last remaining hope she had um, to, you know, reuniting her family and in any capacity. And he died in her arms. Like that's, it's a horrible thing that she just witnessed. And Cassian dragged her away from it. And, now she's left in the in the silence in the middle of the room trying to come to terms with what's happened to her. And she kind of looks around aimlessly for a minute. You kind of see her, like, blink out of her trance and, like, look around the room. Um, and then the scene cuts to outside of the ship, and we see some big explosions from the shuttle depot. Um, like, the... Like, the the rest of that Imperial base is blowing up behind them as they're leaving. Like, the universe, like, the film is showing us, like, that hope that she had, it's gone now. It is, <laughs> there is no recovering from that. We, in our, in our screening yesterday, did a lot of jokes of, um, uh, people have come back from worse in Star Wars. <laughs> they're it's fine. It's true. Maul, Palpatine, all of these... All these people, they you keep gotta, coming you back be from bad terrible injuries. From bad things. <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, a Sith power. Yeah, well, the dark side is a pathway to many powers that some would consider unnatural. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I think that explosion there, like you said, like nobody's coming back from that. Like that moment is over and done with and permanent. And boom, it's also gone. Yeah. Um and it's it's a really interesting. They could have shown it before they cut back inside the ship. Like it would have cut together perhaps a little bit more seamlessly. But I think showing us the crew in the ship, the confusion, the hurt, the tiredness, 
and then cutting back to the platform to watch it go up even bigger in the explosion uh, kind of hammers it home and kind of jolts the scene back to life. Because now, now they're going to talk, and they're not going to jump right into a conversation. Uh, there's going to be a little bit more of a pause here, but I think that punctuation forces the transition from silent, uh, nothing left to say, everybody's on the same page, to, oh no, we're actually not. Like, there's conflict here, too. We need to talk about it. Exactly. So the silence is broken by our boy Bodhi. Bodhi says the first words of the scene, uh, and he's telling K2SO what to do. Uh, he says, uh, I and Thrusters low until we've cleared the storm. And he, he barks that order, and, and K2 says, understood. I and Thrusters low until we've cleared the storm. Understood. It's, uh, it's a very simple little line, but that's Bodhi. His voice is clear. He knows exactly what to say, what to do. This is his home turf now. Um, you know, Edo well, was where he was based, right? Yeah, well, it's I mean, not his he, homeland, but yeah, like he that was, was... he was a local boy to Jeddah. He led them in with directions. Stay yeah. low, go over here, go that but way, stay low, and now he's leading them away. Something something has clicked back into place with Bodhi. He has this new part of his identity. He's a rebel now. Yeah. Um, and I feel like rebel pilot brings messages. These three main factors for him <laughs> uh, have kind of coalesced into something resembling who he was yeah um even if it's not fully formed again and i think we will see bodhi rebuild himself completely later in the film um that's something that i kind of landed on yesterday when we were watching it like this is full bodhi yeah um, and we're starting not to talk see about... <laughs> yeah we're starting to see glimpses of that now but we'll get to that in a later in a later episode yeah so he says uh, i am thruster slow until we've cleared the storm um but the real storm uh, is about to kick off, and that real storm is Hurricane Jin. Hurricane Hurric Jin. Hurricane uh, Jin is about to go off. She's she's barely contained in this moment, and we've got a couple of close shots on her face, on her fist, um, clenched tightly. Like you know that now she's ready to say something, and she's gonna make sure she's understood here about like all of the things that have been done to her that were wrong yeah she almost looks like she's gonna go in swinging like yeah, her she, her fist is tight and she looks like she's gonna walk over there and just take a swing at she Cassian. really could and i think i think that would be a very gin move like to kind of go all feral in that moment <laughs> just to start knocking heads um but you know she's pulled back into the situation um by chirrut yeah Cherry grabs her by the wrist, by the clenched fist. He, he he grabs her wrist. He can't see her. He doesn't know what she's doing. But he knows that energy that she's putting off. And she knows that he knows the anger and the fury and the deep sadness that she's feeling. And stops her from maybe from maybe going to take a swing at Cassian. Like she's still gonna gonna go at Cassian, obviously, but maybe maybe his touch and his influence turns this into a conversation instead of a fight um i don't know i mean obviously i don't know what Jin would have done there but that's what it what it reads to me um because he grabs the hand her her hand that's in a fist i think i think this connects back to a line from the last episode um that Jin's path is clear 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Jin was about to stray from the path real hard. Um, oh yeah. She was she was about to take some drastic, you know, actions that, if nothing else, would end with somebody hurt and Jin needing to be separated from the rest of the crew. Right. Uh, and I think Chirrut can sense the force moving around her and is like, "Oh no! Like, <laughs> stay on the path." This is this is me saying like you and I both know what we actually need to do, um, even even though it hurts right now. You want to you want to hit something? You got to talk about it instead. Yeah. And I think some of that too is um, like we we've mentioned before in the show that uh, Chirrut by being the only person um, who believes in and talks about the Force in Jin's life has kind of taken on the role of Jin's mom. Um, and has kind of stepped into that into that that bit for her because the only other person who talked about the force was Lyra. And yeah. so Chirrut comes in talking about the force and is wearing the um the red um the like I don't even remember what it's called. It's like a skirt thing that, it's that like it's a, like it's an overskirt. It's almost like an underskirt or a it's yeah. it's not it's not on the outside it's like between the out- it's this this like layer that's red that's in the middle Lyra wore the same one yeah. Chirrut's wearing it's like a mark of of people who are devoted to the force and so Chirrut is like Jin's mom and he does like a really mom move he like lays hands on her and is yeah. like hey calm down sweetie <laughs> we're gonna like we can we can get through this with our words um, and I think that that touch and that. It, it's a mirror. Jin does it to him later. She grabs his hand later in kind of a very similar gesture, um, like almost reassuring that they're on each other's team. Um, a Chirrut, I feel like touch is really important to, to Chirrut, not, and not just because he's blind, but I think that's important too. He touches Baze a lot. He always has a hand on Baze's shoulder or on his arm, or Baze has got him by the hand and is like pulling him through um like through the rain on on Edu before right before they got on the ship they had their hands on each other as they were as Baze was guiding him and that's obviously important but i think the touch of Jin's hand is equally as important as like a guide or like a guardian yeah right um yeah there's you know we were talking a little bit about Chirrut's character yesterday um and how he's Later in the film, especially once they escape from Jeddah, he's a lot less chatty, uh, and there's there's a lot less attitude. Um, and I feel like Chirrut has grown into this role of the the spiritual center of the team very quickly out of necessity. Yeah. Because they've lost so much so quickly. Um, especially Chirrut and Baze have lost their homes. Mm-hmm. All of it. Um and Bodhi, and, local and Bodhi, the local boy. Uh, but now, now here he is, you know, having kind of attached himself to Jin's journey, um, knowing that her path is clear, and having fought and you know protected her multiple times. Um, now being like, okay, but you've got to trust me, trust the Force right now, and it's it's a good moment. That yeah. that little hand grab is so loaded. Um, it's really, it could, it's really sweet. Yeah, it could have been anything. He could have said something, but I think again, this scene is utilizing silence to a, an incredible degree. Like, Absolutely, so much is unsaid, and all that communication has been done. We've had one line of dialogue that we've talked about so far. 
Right. And, like, and or this... two, I guess, if you if you count K2 saying understood. But um, well off screen, and, and it's less important. And, and, and honestly, that line of dialogue, those two lines of dialogue, they're delivered kind of in the background. Yeah. It's, they're very low. I don't even think the camera's on Bodhi when he says it. You just kind of hear him say it because the camera's on Jin and on her stillness and silence and what she's going through. Um, and yeah, the, yeah, the silence is, is really, um, it's starting to ramp up too. Like it's starting to feel like it's been quiet for too long. Like what's going to happen? What's going to happen? <laughs> Meanwhile, Cassian, Cassian Andor, uh, is methodically putting away his things. He strips off his gloves. He takes off his outer jacket He's putting his bag away. He's got a place for everything and everything in its place. And his jaw is tight. (laughs) Yeah. He is is visibly clenching his teeth and trying to put his things away. And he's kind of taking a while to do it, though. He's doing it methodically, but not quickly. Yeah, it seems like he's, like, double-checking everything, too, and trying to add a little bit of time onto this routine. (laughs) Um, he, He is pretending to keep his cool. Which is mm-hmm. something that Cassian Andor does a lot. He pretends to keep his cool. But he's doing the worst job he, of it he, in this. He's officially not good at it anymore. No. <laughs> and the thing is, he lost his cool when they landed on Edu, And he kind of recovered and pulled that back. Because he knew he was off to do something bad and, and kill uh, Galen. Um now he has avoided doing the bad thing but the bad thing happened anyways and it's kind of his fault and he couldn't stop it and he knows he's in trouble and that cool is just a veneer and it is so thin yeah uh it's definitely about to uh, we'll we'll talk about it but <laughs> it's it, he's not going to be able to hold on to this and it's clear from the look on his face that yeah. he's not going to be able to hold on he holds on for a little bit because Jen comes in right off right off the bat right out the gate with you lied to me you lied to me you're in shock there's no there's no question it's not a question and then he responds with you're in shock which is not a denial they are on the same page they yeah. know they know what happened and he's not going to deny it but he well, doesn't she, she feel like he has to. She yeah. tells him to. She's he's like, deny, deny it. Deny it. And, and he's he, like, I've seen this happen before. Everybody goes into shock when bad things happen. It's fine, Jin. You're <laughs> like, he's he's trying to maintain control over the the situation. It's yeah. it's not it's not off to a great start. He he doesn't feel like he has to justify himself, or he feels like if he does justify himself, then then he will lose control of the situation. Yeah. Because he, there there is no justification for for the lie. Other than orders are orders. Right. And he pulls that argument later. But uh, obviously it doesn't it doesn't work. But right. we'll we'll get there. We're still we're still here at the at the beginning. Right. Uh she so she heads right to him. She corners him in that in that corner where she where he's putting his stuff away. She is she's not going and swinging, but she's definitely like cornering him, like ready for a fight. And it almost seems like he's because he keeps putting his stuff away and he's not really looking at her. And it almost seems like he thinks if he sticks to his script and to his methods and this is, you know, I don't have to justify myself. I just want to put my things away and then get us back to the oven safely. Um, maybe then I won't have to have this conversation with you. <laughs> 
And yeah, and and it, it's clear that Cassian has this script and this strategy out of practice, right? It's yep. it, he's doing this mechanical thing of putting all of his stuff away, and then he responds mechanically to Jin's distress, right? You're in shock. Uh, and I feel like an alternate title for Rogue One, a Star Wars story, might mm-hmm. be Cassian Andor's very bad day, because he <laughs> has. True. I mean, they all have a really bad day. That's not the argument here. But Cassian, more than anybody else, we see get thrown out of his zones of comfort, right? Like, first, he gets thrown in a cage. That's never happened to him before, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Next, he gets given orders that he knows he he can't take these orders, and he has to go against them. Then he sees a trust bond that he was starting to build collapse, and it matters to him. Yeah. And he, he's all about building trust and betraying it. Like, that's part of his job. We see him do that in the first scene that he's in. He's like, hey, it's going to be fine. It's going to be gonna fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. And then, yeah. And then he then shoots he him in the back. Then he kills a guy, right? Yeah. All of his defenses have been broken down and all of his usual strategies have failed him. Uh, and he's going by the skin of his teeth right now. And even that is barely working. And here we see him trying to settle in to a strategy and a routine and a script that he knows. This is the right way to be a rebel right now. This is what, after a mission, I put my stuff away, I get us home, and then I'm going to report on what happened. And he's trying to stick to that script, and he's trying to do it, and Jin is just not going to let him. And he she says, can't. But, yeah. He, no, she can't. Like, she's so angry, and her father just died in her arms. She won't let it go. He says, you're in shock, I've seen it before. And she responds with, I bet you have. You're in shock, looking for some place to put it. I've seen it before. I bet you have. What? Like, that is cutting. Like, that is, that is slices through his defense. And he stops even pretending after that, right? Like, it, like he's, he's try his little facade he's put on breaks when she says i bet you have like yeah. and because she's calling him out and i don't think anybody's ever got to do that before oh they don't usually don't live that long <laughs> exactly <laughs> right so so cassian is about to make a couple of points and Jin is about to make a couple of points right right back and i think this this argument is really good because they're both right um yeah and and they also it reveals that they understand each other very deeply um, yeah and deep and, enough to cut at each other's defenses right they both know what the other one is most ashamed of and and how to hurt each other the most um yeah. and it it doesn't go well nope <laughs> and everybody else on the ship is forced to hear it and watch it go down yeah they and they get pulled in right here this is what yeah. happens next is she points back she says they know they know she points to Baze and Chirrut who are just sitting there very quietly <laughs> they're not stopping her Chirrut already did his thing he grabbed her hand maybe stopped her from hitting Cassian yeah um and now he looks sad Chirrut looks sad like like he doesn't want to hear this conflict and he doesn't he doesn't want to to witness this. Um, but Basic's very calm. I actually was really struck by Basic's face this time I watched it. So he's kind of like looking up. Um, 
he's got his head tilted down and he's looking up. Like he's listening very intently. Yeah. Um and his eyes are on Cassian. And he it's like he's he really wants to like hear how Cassian's gonna defend himself. Um, maybe he's taking notes for Chirrut because we've already established that this is something that they do for each other, right? When Chirrut says, does he look like a killer? Yeah. And, and he says, no, he has the face of a friend. That is them exchanging their, their strengths, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe Baze is watching Cassian's face. Does he still look like a friend? Um, and we don't know. We don't, we don't know what the answer is yet. Who who do you think they most side with and relate to in this argument? Baze and Chirrut specifically. Um, I think I think Jin. Yeah. I would think Jin. Her path is clear, right? Right. And but and I they're... think they sympathize with Cassian. Right. Um I think the movie's gonna do some work later to establish that they are very much team Jin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh after the um the meeting with the council and Jin goes out and who does she talk to? She talks to Bodhi and Baze and Chirrut. Yeah. And they're all very much bought into her side of things. Um, yeah. And they're, yeah, they're on her team. They want to go fight with her. They want to stand by her side. Baze calls her little sister. Yeah. They're, they are on team Jin, but I think if they didn't end up like, I think by the end of this fight, if they thought that Cassian was wrong, they might not have stayed or yeah, gotten think, on the ship with him. I think Baze might be looking really intently to see if Cassian makes a wrong move and if he needs to step in and change the dynamic here. I real that that's what I get from the gaze here. Like he's laid back on purpose to be like, oh no, nothing going on over here. Don't focus on me. But I feel like Baze especially would jump in to mutiny i guess <laughs> and be like uh-uh we're we're changing what we're doing um yeah that's what i'm getting Maybe. off of Baze. yeah it's a very it's a very intense look and yeah. he's not breaking eye contact with cassian yeah um and yeah but i but i but i do think that uh that they're on team Jin, and that if cassian had made a bad move or said something wrong or something in his face didn't say face of a friend yeah. They would they would have taken Jin and ran or yeah. gone to Scarif on their own and not waited for Cassian to finish gathering his friends up. You know, yeah. they would have been like, "All right, let's go." But Baze says, "How many do we need?" and points at, at points at Cassian. So I think they were waiting for him to come round. I think they get they got they understood Cassian's place in this and how conflicted he was. Yeah, maybe maybe what it is is that they're kind of feeling out the conflict in Cassian in this moment. Yeah. Um, very con- very conflicted. <laughs> yeah, because because Chirrut is feeling that conflict and is it ups- upset about it, and Baze is observing it and watching it and waiting for it to change. And I love that. I love that read. That's yeah, really good. They're 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 great. Um, so Jin looks to Baze and Chirrut. Cassian looks to Bodhi, who was with him through most of it. Uh, he's like, Bodhi saw me. <laughs> Bodhi, Bodhi saw, saw me not kill him. Bodhi saw me not kill him. Bodhi came up with me. Bodhi is easily the most agitated of the of the the, the three that aren't in the fight. With good Chirrut reason. And Bodhi. With good reason. He is so angry. 
Um, he doesn't respond, and he only looks at Cassian for, like, a minute and then goes back to what he's doing. Like, he also is trying to stick to a script. If I just do this and I hit these buttons and I get us to where we're going to go and ignore what's happening, everything's going to be all right. But he, his jaw is clenched so tight, he's almost got, like, an underbite. Like, you can see his whole face has changed because he's biting his tongue so hard. <laughs> like... He is gritting his teeth, and it's the only thing keeping him from speaking his mind. Um, do you think Bodhi, in another life, or po- pre-Borgullet Bodhi, would have said something? I do you think, think he would have jumped in? I think Bodhi would have had something to say, for sure. Like, Bodhi would have had something to say many times before this moment. Um, we were talking about, what what is Bodhi before Borgullet? Unfortunately, the movie doesn't give us a lot of we get a little. with him. But we get we get a lot of snark. We get uh, he's he's not ever the calmest guy. We get we get kind of like uh, constantly talking his way through things. Mm-hmm. Um, because Saw Guerrera, <laughs> like what part of like, urgent Hello? message don't you guys understand? <laughs> um, and he would have protested when uh, when he saw Cassian take aim against uh, Galen. He would have definitely done something about it i think if he wasn't in the state he was in uh and now he knows cassian was in the wrong he also knows cassian didn't take the shot but i mean does that fix it and i think that's the question that Jin has too so i think Bodhi would have ended up on team Jin, and he just doesn't say anything here because yes he's a witness to cassian's character but, but maybe he doesn't trust his own judgment yet that's like, true I'm a witness to what has happened, and I saw this. Well, he got sent away before Cassian, like, really took aim. Like, he was yeah. using his his um, his rifle, his scope, as, like, a binoculars, basically. Yeah. Um, but he didn't see Cassian aim. He didn't see his finger on the trigger, you know. Um, but he knows what was up. Like, he, that's why he was hesitant to run away when Cassian's like, go get us a ship, and Bo- Bodhi hesitates. He's like, okay, because I don't know if I trust to leave him up here alone. Yeah. Um, so, But he doesn't say anything. He didn't say anything. And we discussed this last episode. Uh, maybe yeah. then maybe he doesn't say anything because he doesn't feel like it's his place or because he doesn't know if he trusts what's going on around him. Um, yeah. His brain has been recently totally hacked into. Um, and a lot is happening. A lot is happening around him, and I'm sure he's not sure what exactly is real at this point. But I think his feelings for Galen are very strong and real still. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It it really stood out to me yesterday, the first couple of things that Jin and Bodhi say to each other. Like, you're the pilot, you knew Galen. He's like, Galen, yeah. You're Galen's daughter. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Not only did he know Galen's well enough to know that Galen had a daughter, but like... To get, he gets it. Yeah, like and he, Galen he gets why that's him, important. Galen taught him to be who he was. Like you can do right by yourself if you can just be, be, brave. be brave. Yeah, and that's really huge. And I don't think he ever would have let it get to that point if he weren't in his adult state. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think he had something to say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So they both gesture back. They, they they try to get other people involved. Nobody says anything. Jin says, My father was living proof and you put him at risk. Those 
what alliance bombs that killed him. You know, those were alliance bombs. You know, you put you put him at risk is is what I highlighted here. Um, not he was at risk or the alliance put him at risk. She puts the blame right on Cassian. He says she says you put him at risk. And the camera like holds on Cassian for a minute and you can see him reacting to that accusation and he is not reacting well. He his like eye twitches a little bit and he's like like he he it's like he he knows. He, he's being accused of something and he knows that he didn't call the strike and he didn't say, "Yeah, let's go get him." But he was going to kill the guy. Like either way, Galen's dead. And yeah. Cassian is maybe starting to let Jin's accusations sink in, but he he's defending. He still defends himself because he did have a reason to do what he did. He was told to, and he's a soldier. Like that's that's all he knows, and that's when he what he says next. I had orders, or orders that I disobeyed, but you wouldn't understand that. I had orders, orders that I disobeyed, but you wouldn't understand that. Uh, what a what a line. Orders I disobeyed, but you wouldn't understand that. Um, I feel like of all the people in the world to understand disobeying orders, Jin Erso. Um, <laughs> she might get it, but also she, gets it. she yeah she she gets it, but she also had he heard her say, "I never had a luxury. I never had the luxury of political opinions." Like right. he heard her say and establish herself as somebody who was like, "I don't care." Like, I, I don't care what's going on. I don't want to be part of this rebellion. Um, and Jen has taken pains to make herself seem to be the sort of person that doesn't believe in anything. Yes, exactly. But, and, and Cassian is saying, I had orders from people that are in charge of me. They're in charge of me because of a thing I believe in. And you don't believe in anything, Jen, right? So I think that the real difference between Jen and Cassian is that Cassian believes in something that Jin also believes in, but Jin is so uncompromising and believes so deeply that she had to remove herself entirely from the whole dang system because everybody else was making compromises. She is definitely more like Saw than Cassian. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Like, Saw and his band of, um, what are they? Partisans. Partisans. <laughs> he, they they had this hard line like we're gonna fight the empire at every turn where the alliance is more of a strategic long-term thinking body which is it's part of what you know keeps them inactive for part of this movie right right but Jin, she believes in the fight against the empire she just pretends not to because believing means you got to take a side and you got to join up and joining up means you know, taking orders. And Jin, Jin couldn't do that if she didn't believe in the orders. And I think I think this whole you wouldn't understand what it means to take orders thing, it does make sense, but I think Cassian has an incomplete picture of Jin. Right. Well, yeah, they don't know each other that well. Right. I mean, they trust each other or they thought they trusted each other. And they thought and maybe they they understand each other enough to hurt each other really bad with their very cutting remarks. Um, but they, yeah, they have an incomplete picture of each other's backgrounds. That's when, when, when he says later, when he says I've been in this fight since I was six years old, I think like that's the minute where Jin gets it. Right. 
Like, well, so has she. Because she has also. Yeah. And, um, and so that that's this conversation, in addition to being fearsome and cutting and terrible, also gives them each other insight in where their brains are, where their where their mindset is, and where they're coming from. Um, so, so when he delivers that line, orders that I disobey, but you wouldn't understand that, he like laughs at her, like he's he's he gets that you wouldn't understand that out with like a chuckle. And uh, but she like smirks back with her with her line. You might as well be a stormtrooper. Orders when you know they're wrong. You might as well be a stormtrooper. Like the look on her face, she is like she's smiling a little bit where she but it's like a self-satisfied smirk. Like I got you now. Like I know I just said something that's going to make you mad. Gotcha. Um, and it totally works. <laughs> it absolutely works. His rage is so visible. It's like palpable. She turns his, turns her back on him and uh, he follows. What do you know? We don't all have the luxury of deciding when and where we want to care about something. Suddenly the rebellion is real for you. Some of us leave it. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. And is he's just totally snapped. He could he could absolutely drop it here. Like that is an exit point. Like you lost, you lost this fight. She said her piece. Be quiet until you get to Yavin. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. <laughs> he can't because he has just done something that he has never done before. Probably since he was like six years old. He broke his his. He broke the rules. He did what he was specifically told not to do. He he disobeyed orders. And that was such a huge turning point moment for him and such like a revelation for him. And to at that point be called a stormtrooper is the deepest insult. Like, he's like, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I just did the non-stormtrooper thing. I just did the only thing I've ever done in my life that wasn't a, like orders as a soldier. And you're going to tell me that I'm a stormtrooper? Um, and you're going to turn your back on me while you do it. <laughs> and wow. so he follows. Yeah. And when she spins back to look at him, she doesn't turn all the way back around. She keeps her, her feet and legs angled away from him. Um, which to me says she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to look at him directly. If, if she wanted to, to, to face him, to fight him, to talk to him, she would, turn to him dead on but she doesn't she's like still trying to run away and because like he hurt her it hurts and now he's gonna yell so he's like she's like turned slightly away and he gets right up in her face like so their, their body language here is so interesting like that he gets so close to her face as he's yelling and his face contorts and he's and he's showing more emotion in one line than he says throughout, basically throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, the mask that he's put up just falls away. Uh, the, the conversation that we had yesterday is about how these two have no concept of personal space. No, none at all. Um, and they really don't. And the tension here um, is, is a lot. It's, it's not just tense because they're mad at each other. It's tense because this is somehow actually bringing them closer. Yeah. Like, this fight is 
is destructive, empiric, and they're they're definitely both going to come away hurt and and hurting from it. But they are opening up so much that this closeness kind of highlights that. Like this is both of us just completely as true as we are. This is as true as we can be. And I think that's amazing that this fight has that dichotomy happening at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's so up, all up in her face. Um, and so they're so, like, close together. And because he's, he's, like, demanding to be seen and to be heard by her. And I think it's part of that. And, and like, it, and, like, by her, he, like we said, he could have just walked away. But he wants her, her, Jin Erso, to understand what he's been through and what he's going through in this moment. And I think it's because they established that that trust, you know, trust goes both ways, right? Yeah. He knows he broke it, but, like, he also wants her to know why. And it shouldn't matter to him, right? He's he's a soldier. He's doing his duties. He, he doesn't have to explain himself to her. Yeah. But, like, he wants to. And he wants to be... He wants her to to go, okay, Cassian, I understand what you did. And, and I still trust you. Um, because cause he, you know, it hurts him that, that that trust is now gone. As much as it hurts that, like, she did trust him and now she's calling him a stormtrooper. Like, all of... The, it's just so many layers of hurt. And, um, and he's... Just, just he's so angry he is he is and this is when he when he says the line i think i think of this line every time i think about cassian andor um i have been in this fight since i was six years old yeah like this this is not this is not a war to me this is my life like this is all i've done all he has ever done is fight against the empire and now suddenly the rebellion is real for you like i'm sorry but it's it's a it's a great line yeah i love this line and i love the way diego luna delivers it and it pretty much wins him part of the argument back it gives him something to stand on yeah but Jin is Jin has the same story, which is why they get each other, right? Yeah, it's why they have the same, like, it's part of why they have the same, like, innate training that lets them go through the streets of Jeddah watching each other's back, why they can, you know, pull each other out of danger and throw each other to the ground when there's explosions. It's this, because it's so ingrained in who they are, because they've been doing it since they were children. And... It's so sad. Yeah. It's so sad, but that, yeah, that's why they're, they're like, they have this kinship that brings them closer together. Uh, and they almost don't even need to say that they have it. They just have it. But then he does say it. He says, I have been doing this since I was six years old. And she was eight when her mother was killed in front of her and when her father was taken away and she was brought straight into into the battle at that point. But then she what brings separates them is that she chose to step away. She walked away and he did not. 
he stayed. And he is what she could have been if she had stayed. Um, I, and I do question that, though. Hmm? Because we've, we've known Jin Urso, daughter of Galen and Lyra, to be this person who is putting up this front of, I don't care. I, I just think about my father as having died. It's easier that way. I don't look up. Whatever. I don't have to care about the rebellion. I can just step away from it all. But is she doing that because she's choosing to do that? Or is she doing that because at every turn, every time she's attached herself to something within the rebellion, it has, to her mind, abandoned her? Yeah, I mean, I, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> So is all, all is she says it to Saw. She says all has ever brought me is pain. The cause, she says, <laughs> like, what? Like, why the should cause, I? The cause. What are we fighting for? Like, why should I throw myself into the line of fire for this cause, capital C cause, when all it's ever brought me is pain? It took Saw mom Guerrera. away. It took dad away. It took Saw away. It like Saw Guerrera left her in a bunker with a blaster and said, good luck. I'll be back tomorrow and never showed up again. And never showed up again. Like, like Jin decided not to do something about it. I'm, I don't buy that. I do not buy that. And she's that, chosen to lock that part of her away. Yeah. And I, it come, but it's about to come back out again. Right. But, hope, right when when we get the hope speech, we we see Jin buy back in. Yeah, but well, that whole yeah, now, her whole scene in the council. She's like, the time to fight is now. Like this is it. Like we've got to go do something, or people are going to die. And that's when she's getting her her fire back. Her 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 belief in the cause is coming back, but not because of, um, not because of the cause itself, but because of maybe because of the people she's found in the cause. Bodhi and Baze and Chiritan, yeah, and Cassian, who she's mad at, but she still, you know, is a ki- has a kinship with. She wouldn't um, she wouldn't be having this fight if she didn't care about Cassian. Right. Exactly. And if if the if the break in trust hadn't hurt so bad, she would yeah, she wouldn't be having that Her fight. trust has been broken over and over again. Uh, it was broken when she was 8 and her mother was killed and her father went with the empire. Mm-hmm. It was broken when Saw abandoned her. It was broken other times as well that we don't see on screen. So in the book that is uh, her backstory, Rebel Rising, um, she, you know, is when it, it's a big chunk of it takes place after she's been abandoned and she by Saw and she's running around the galaxy just trying to, like, make it through. And she ends up on this planet. She meets this family in the sky. And when the Rebellion and the Empire show up on that planet that they thought was safe and, and you know, oh, the, the, the war's not going to come here, they kept saying. Um, the Rebellion and the Empire, the, the battle starts and takes those people away from her again. They die in that, in that battle. That's just another thing that's, that I highly recommend reading Rebel Rising. It's so good. But it's just yet another instance in her life where somebody she cared about where she she wasn't going to care about them at all she's like i don't care because everybody i care about gets taken away oh just kidding i care a little bit oh they got taken away uh, again <laughs> that's Jin. like that's that happens to Jin so many times over the course of her life um and i wonder why she doesn't defend herself further when cassian says i've been in this fight since i was six years old why doesn't she say oh yeah me too yeah she like, has she has every call to but I think it's when Cassian 
says some of us just chose to do something about it or decided to do something about it. I don't, yeah. I don't think he has a choice, right? Right. Some of us he decided to do something about it. Um, she, she doesn't have anything to say to that specifically because she was trying to get out. She was. She was just going to waste away in prison for a while. She was, like, okay with that. You saw her at the beginning of the movie. She just sits there resigned, like, like, all right, I'm in this cell. I'm on this prison transport. Here I go. Like, yeah. she wasn't trying to escape. She wasn't trying to get out. She was just resigned. Why like, fight the rebels that came to free you if not because going back to that even knowing that they're in the right, knowing they're on the right side of the fight, going back to that would just cause you more pain. Well, I guess she doesn't even really know that they are rebels, right? Like, she knows they're against the Empire, but she doesn't know why they want her. And and one of them's a reprogrammed Imperial droid that she doesn't know has been reprogrammed. <laughs> That's true. But but they, they know her fake name, and they say, you want to get out of here? And they spring her and not everybody else. And she fights them. <laughs> and she decides, like, now's the time to pick up a shovel and start swinging. Like, and break Milshi's nose. It's right. fine. Poor boy. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think, well, she's, I think it's because... I think she... At that point, she doesn't want to be beholden to anybody. Yeah. She's like, the rebels are coming, or somebody is coming. They're springing me out, and I won't be in prison anymore, but then I'll be beholden to them. But if I just break a bunch of faces with the shovel, maybe I won't be beholden to anybody. Right. <laughs> And what, and she, what she desires more than anything is the ability to be free from all of this. That's why that's what Mom Nothma offers her yeah. when, when she requests her help with Saw. She says, we can make sure you go free. And Jen's like, well, yeah, that's all I want is to be free. And so she, she, she did decide to, at some point, decided to not do anything about it. And that's when, when Cassian says, some of us decided to do something about it. He, he's right. She gave up. But what does she want from Cassian in this in this moment? Like an apology? An, does she want an apology? Does she want him to just say the words, "Yes, I was going to go kill him." But but I mean, he says, "I disobeyed the orders and I had every every, you know, I had all the time in the world to pull the trigger, right?" But those He's, were alliance bombs that killed him. And like, the goal was never extraction. I guess she and wants she, him she to admit that. She lied about that? that, too. I mean, he lied about that, too. Yeah. Is that what, what she wants him to, to admit? Does he? Does she want him to to confess? Does he, she want him to break down? Like, what, what does she want out of this fight? What is she, why is she still going? Why did she poke him enough to get him to yell that he's been in the fight since he was six years old? And what, like, what could she get out of that? She's not going to get her father back. No. She knows that. Does she just want to fight? I think. She's maybe finally she's, here to fight instead of just, just to watch. She's just lashing out. Like, she needs a target because her last target is gone. The reunification of her family. Yeah. And now she needs something. Maybe she wants Cassian to say, like, you're a rebel now. <laughs> and and give her that piece of herself that she can now latch on to. But she can't ask for it because she knows what it means. We don't see her emote a lot. I mean, you see her emote. 
more than you'd expect for somebody who is a, as stoic as she is. But yeah. you see her cry when she's watching the hologram of her father. She shouts at Saab once. You know, she says, you dumped me. Um, but for the most part, that conversation is fairly like, she's like, well, it's not a problem if you don't look up and, and all of that. Like she's, she's being very stoic, very, she doesn't show a lot on her face up until this conversation either. And I wonder if this is the conversation, this is the fight with Cassian that has like brought back her, her will to fight in general. Do you think, like, pre-Edu, she would have been able to give a speech to the council that's like, we've got to, we've got to go do something about this, about the Empire? It's no. not just, the, I don't think it's just the loss of her father. I think it's the loss of her father and the betrayal of Cassian and this, like, need to do something has been sparked in her. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think what's happening here is she's, she's reawakening some morality, that is beyond selfishness and saving herself and getting free of all of this. Uh, I think uh, this is, uh, I hate to go on too much of a tangent, Alice, but if I may. <laughs> yeah. Uh, DJ from The Last Jedi. Ooh, I like him. A character that we, we never see have any of this, any of this like conflict, but that we do see as kind of a pure distillation of well, I don't. I, I don't have the luxury of political opinions. I, I I won't look up. Like only for me, only for profit, only only to get free. Don't join. Right. Yep. I think what what this is doing is taking Jin from a DJ sort of mentality, uh, or at least aspiring to that mentality because I don't think she ever truly lived in it. Right. Right. But taking her from that to, oh no, I believe in stuff. I believe in a lot of stuff. I want to fight. I want to help people. Some of us decided to do something about it. I decide to do something about it. I'm doing something. <laughs> you do something. I do something. I do something. <laughs> and I think, I think that's what this is. You're right. It's like, I have to fight. But the only people to fight are right in front of me. And I'm going to focus on that hurt. And I'm going to focus on that fight right now. And later it will coalesce into... I will do whatever it takes to complete this goal, this promise that I made to my father as he died. Mm -hmm. Because family's at the end of it, the most important thing to Jin or so. Yeah. It's her family, which she doesn't have now. She's feeling that emptiness harder here yeah. than ever. So their conversation ends um, with a very similar to how it began very just statements of fact not not a question not a an excuse even she just says you can't talk your way around this and he says i don't have to you can't talk your way around this i don't have to i don't owe you anything he says i don't i don't have to explain myself to you and the motion that they, the choreography that they use for this, and he goes over her shoulder, he forces her to turn to look at him, um, is the same, same move that they use at the end of the movie when, he's, when she says, I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad. And he says, welcome home. Um, it's the same move. It's the same shoulder that he walks over. 
And because he's pulling focus in in this, he says he he says, I don't have to to her face and making her. So he's walking around behind her and she doesn't want to put her back to him again because they've been yelling at each other. And that would be dangerous. She's a fighter after all. You right. don't turn your back on on the person you're fighting. No. And so he he forces it. He forces her eyeline and he forces her to move. And it's a it's a it's a power move. Um in this situation. When they do it again later, it's a little more teasing, even a little romantic. But in this in this moment, he's like, I'm in charge here. I don't have to explain myself to you. And they go eye to eye with no concept of personal space. Just None. so close to each other's faces. Zero. And he uses that move to get around her and end the conversation on his terms. He gets the last word. The camera holds on Jin. And because she's still our, our, our focus. She is our emotional narrative. She's our hero. And w- one of the things I love about this movie is how we get Jin as our lead female character, our lead character who is a woman who is allowed to express emotions like rage and grief and, and all like everything in between. And she doesn't have to be like a perfect, like non-emotional character, right? She gets to ugly cry. She gets to have makeup smeared on her face. She, she is allowed to be a human being just something that I that is so important to me and and to a lot of women who watch this movie um everybody but especially women who want to be fans of Star Wars and see somebody like like Jin um and um and we so we've seen her cry but she's not crying now she could she could cry she could cry for her father she could break down but she's more like distant she's like staring off into the middle distance um, and maybe she really is in shock. Like, like, like Cassine called it from the beginning, right? Like you're in shock, uh, and you're looking for some place to put it. And like, maybe he was right. Like, you know, look at, like, look at her here in this moment. She's just like, like not focused on anything. Stuff, uh, other things are happening around her and there's still people in the room and Cassine even gets one last line out before he leaves and she doesn't react. She's just kind of staring. Yeah. We we were just saying that now she wants a fight. Like, now she wants to care. And the only people to fight and to care about are right in front of her. And that read is a more sensitive, more emotionally aware reading of you're in shock and you're looking for some place to put it. Like, they mean the same thing, actually. Yeah, you're in shock and you are looking for some place to put it. Now, now not just, like, your anger, but, like, your grief, your sadness. This is your family that's here now. These are the people that that are, are going to be the only ones that can support you, that you can put it on if you, if you need to. Uh, Cassian doesn't say, don't put it on me. He says, you're looking for some place to put it. Yeah, and he... And he yeah, he doesn't say, you're right. He doesn't say, you're looking for some place to put it and that person's not going to be me. Right. He's he, like, you're looking for some place to put it, so you're gonna, aren't you? And she does. And he takes it. He, takes he yells it. And, and fights about it, but he takes it. He takes it and he leaves with it. I don't know. This fight is so good. It's, 
it's everything. It, it is their entire relationship. Um, and we have talked about it for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and it's less than five minutes of screen time. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's beautiful. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. And we're left, the, the scene is left with him saying, you know, anyone else? Like, anybody else have anything to say? And they don't. And he gets to, you know, he leaves. He gets the last word in that conversation. But um, it's not because he's right. It's, but, I mean, he's not, he's not wrong, but he's not right. Um, none of them are. They all have a lot of complex emotions happening here. I mean, Baze and Chirrut and Bodhi just watched their planet blow up, like, yesterday. Um, uh, who knows how long they were in hyperspace to go to Edo, but it was, right. like, yesterday. And, um... You know, everybody's killed somebody that day and everybody's, you know, faced certain death and bombs and explosions and and, all, and death stars and all of this horrible, you know, stuff. And all Baze can do is just collapse onto his back, right? Like He just, he just lays back like somebody who's just witnessed, like, a real fight. Like, like, ugh, what are we going to do now? Ugh. <laughs> like... Wow, it's a moment, it's almost a moment of levity. Like, when he collapses, it's almost funny. Like, it's a little, it's like it's a little funny, his reaction to just, yeah, like, it, anybody it else. And silly. he just goes, you know what? No. <laughs> he just, he just lays, lays down. down. I'm going to just lay down if that's all right with everybody else. <laughs> but, like, it, yeah, it's funny, but it's obviously based in something, like, really horrible. Yeah. That he's, they've he's all been through together. Just trying to, he's just trying to let it stop. He's just trying to be done with it. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, mm -hmm. speaking of moments of levity. Yes. You know who's not in this scene? K2SO! K2SO gets to say understood and be not on screen for this entire this is fight. not a place for him. He would have said something really stupid that pissed everybody off. Like, he would have said something and then Cassie would have been like, quiet, K, you're not in this. And, and Jim would have been like, you want to fight? Mr. Robot, like, like they, he would have made it worse, I think. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> would have made it worse. Probably good that he wasn't there. Um, but he might be the only one who understands what Cassian's going through. Maybe Cassian needed an ally in that room, and that's part of why he leaves. He's like, I'm going to go hang out with K2SO, the only person who understands me. My only real friend. My only friend is a droid, and that's sad. Ouch. Yeah. Poor Cassian. Poor everyone. Really poor everybody, because they're they're all just at the end of their ropes, and literally, literally and figuratively. And I know this is uh, this isn't the saddest scene in the film, and everyone is not going spoiler alert not going to make it to the end of this movie. But this is the emotional low point of the film. This is our uh, our big conflict right before the climax, right? Right yeah. before this is this is this is exiting the belly of the whale, all is lost. Um, we are we are adrift without direction. Our heroes are at their lowest points. All of them. Mm -hmm. Nobody has anything left. No resources. No strategies. Nothing to fight for. The bad guys may as well have won, but we do bounce back emotionally. Um. And we'll talk about that in a future episode. But for now, 
we're moving on. I feel like I feel like Alice. This is like the bonus segment of what has already been a full episode, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is a shame because this segment could be its own episode on its own. Uh, Star Wars Screenwipe to uh, the planet Mustafar. Mustafar. Uh, we only know Mustafar. This is the first time we've seen Mustafar since Revenge of the Sith, right? The only other time we see Mustafar, other than Revenge of the Sith. Uh, we do see it in Rise of Skywalker, um, though it's not as lava-y in that, we do? in that movie. Yeah, it's the very beginning where Kylo is just, like, mowing down Vader cultists. Oh, yeah. You're um, right. Not as lava-y. But we get our, our big... The first thing we see is Krennic sh- shuttle clearing the, clearing the clouds, and he's over a lava river. And we know what a lava river can do. <laughs> yeah, we know lava rivers are bad news, but Darth Vader is the sort of person who builds a castle, a dark, brooding, sad sad times castle, uh, in the place where he was both figuratively and literally killed and reborn. Yeah. Um and this is this is the This is Castle Vader. Um this is this is ominous this is dark this is gothic it's i mean i think there's a reason castle vader became a thing uh as as the universe expanded like vader needs a place where he can be mad all the time and (laughs) this is that place for him it's about everything he's lost and everything he's become uh and a sweeping wide shot over the lava river and then watching it pour through the castle is like oh he's he's mastered the anger and now he's built this edifice on top of it this monument to his power it's great i love it's it it's great and the castle is gorgeous in a very like sithy way <laughs> it's very 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 pretty yeah and the lighting in the scene is a plus top oh, it's, notch it's just so good so much red and gold it's wonderful yeah uh and the first thing we see after we see krennic's ship uh come in for a landing is a long walk up by a robed figure uh who turns out to be one of those aforementioned vader cultists um Mm -hmm. isn't it cool that vader has a cult i love that vader has a cult I think that's very appropriate. Um, yeah, and he he kneels in front of a Bacta tank where we see an obscured uh, vision of Anakin Skywalker, aka Darth Vader, uh, just bathed in Bacta. Man, can you imagine though? Like this is Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, a very very tortured evil man at this moment in time. Um, the trust he would have to have in those cultists to see him in such a vulnerable state. Like, he is suspended in the air. He's wearing that. You can kind of see it. I was watching it last night. Um, you can kind of see through the back to a little bit. He's wearing that, like, that, like, diaper thing that Luke Skywalker had to wear when you watch it in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. He's, he's that's all he's wearing. You can kind of see it in the, through the, through the back to. And it's, like, the most vulnerable a person can be. Yeah. Um, and and he's just he's just at it. He's got some guards and occultists that can just walk in on him. We and... we don't have a lot to compare this scene to, actually, right? Um, That's right. 
Because, like you said, the only other time we see a full-on back-to-tank with a person floating in it is when Luke is floating in it um, at, the, at the beginning of Empire, at the, after the fight on Hoth. Yeah. Um, or when he fights the, uh, the Wampa. When he fights the Wampa, Hoth. yeah. Uh, and... I mean, first of all, the parallels. It's like poetry. They, they rhyme. Like, like father, like son, and all that. Um, but also, that's wild. Like, in the films, two scenes of back to healing, and it's the two Skywalkers. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's a really nice touch. Um, there's, there's one other scene I wanted to bring up, though. Oh, okay. I believe it's in Empire. Uh, I could be wrong about this. It might be in Return of the Jedi. I know it's not in A New Hope. Uh, mm. There is a scene where Vader is sitting in a big egg with his uh, helmet off. With his and we helmet see it, off. We yeah. see it, like, go onto his head as he talks to um, some some high-ranking Imperial officer. Yes. Um, and this reminds me a lot of that, but even more vulnerable, right? Because yes. the egg opens and the helmet comes down at the same time. And we, like, it, it's like there's care being taken to not show us the human that is vader we only want to see the machine uh the death machine as it were yes um, this is as close as it gets this scene in rogue one is the closest it gets to showing us that uh, like we see the most skin on darth vader here and we see him suspended in the air um which is really vulnerable really human yeah um, um and i think i think that helps with the rest of the scene here because Alice, I got to tell you, it's really showy. It's like, really, really showy. Like, there is a lot of Anakin Skywalker here now in Vader. Yes, he, um, Anakin Skywalker is, uh, as evidenced through three prequel films and the entire series, uh, Clone Wars, the most dramatic human being on the planet. Uh, well, Dude on, on so, all the planets. <laughs> on all the planets. In the universe. He is so dramatic. He's so over the top in everything that he does. And, like, you see, you get that essence of him here. That is, like, look at this dramatic entrance he gets to make. This like And this awesome flex that he gets to throw at, at Krennic. Where Krennic's waiting sweaty and hot over a over a scary chasm a giant lava chasm <laughs> and then anakin drama boy skywalker gets to make his entrance all backlit with the fog and the chasm and the cape and the you know i love he it. gets he gets to to make that entrance and it scares the snot out of critic <laughs> <laughs> how, so how long do you think it takes to go from floating in Bacta to fully suited up as Darth Vader? Oh, God. At least uh, half an hour. Easy. Like, Easy. You got to dry hour. him off and, and put him in, you know, put his poor pained body into the suit. And... Bacta, Bacta is not water. Like, you probably have to rinse it off because yeah. it's like a gel. It's, it's like it's a like goo. It's like jelly. Yeah. Um... And... <laughs> And, and Vader has to go through this whole process and, like, polish his helmet and, like, get looking just right and then stand behind the door so well, that it... the fog can build up and, <laughs> and the lighting can get really perfect. And then the door has to open. Meanwhile, Krennic is just standing there. It's amazing. It's, it's like, amazing. who's in charge? I'm in it's charge. so dramatic. Me. I also want, I want to pop back to the back to it for a second because it just, yeah. uh, just occurred to me. Um 
that what it's also telling us here is that it's been what 19 years since um since revenge of the sith right? uh, it i mean luke and leia are about to they're like 19 20 years thing. old at this point yeah. right like like they're so it's been it's been like 20 years ish let's just since, make it 20 let's make it around 20 um that he is still in so much pain and still hurts so much all the time from his injuries that he has to do back to treatments regularly 20 years later yeah that's horrible that's terrifying like and it says a lot if you just like that context if you don't if you don't know that if you don't know what the back to treatment is or anything like that it, it doesn't affect the story but it sure does if you know anything about the, about Bacta or how long it's been since Darth Vader was injured. Like, if you know, like, come on, that's wild. It is. 20 years in Bacta, on and off. Like. And, and there's a lot of talk in, like, extended canon about how Anakin is channeling that pain to be even stronger in the dark side of the Force. Yes. Like. That constant pain is part of what drives him, and we see we see pain being a driver for dark side powers um, driver. all the time. An Adam driver of <laughs> dark Adam. side powers. Kylo Ren does it, yeah, on Starkiller Base when he's got that the wound from Chewie's um, Chewie's blaster, and he keeps hitting it, um, and he hits the wound over and over again to channel that that pain into his into his fighting. Yeah, like that's legit. That's cool. Yeah, but it, it's so much pain that it's maybe even too much to use in your in your anger and in your force powers that you have to go heal yourself and back to sometimes because that's how much pain you're in yeah that's um that's a lot of pain yeah so and i think he i think he earned this dramatic entrance oh yeah for sure for sure and i i want to talk about the dramatic entrance because the the door rises right mm-hmm. and vader is bathed in a golden cloud of light yeah and i don't know like for me, Anakin Skywalker, formerly the Chosen One, uh, appearing in a cloud of golden light in, in a scene that feels very constructed, uh, says something. It, it like He could appear in a cloud of white, like, and it could be very imperial looking. Or he could appear in a dark, foggy room. And he could have been red. It could have been even more red. But, but there's a lot of red, but it could have been more. <laughs> here's Darth Vader stepping out of a golden cloud. Like, yeah. like he is he is asserting divinity here. Yeah. This is our dark prince. He is here. And it's it's not it's not a straight up intimidation move. It is absolutely a style flex. And <laughs> and what I love about this is that Krennic is a man who prides himself on um, the impeccability, the untouchability of his style, I think. There's, I agree. There's, there's a lot in the, in the film to support this. It's this crisp white uniform, this very jaunty cape. Um, he's that always hat? just Yeah, his hat <laughs> is perfect. Like, he's always just so ship-shape and right. And... We were talking about what what does Krennic want? Like, does he want power? And I don't think that's the case, right? Because what Krennic really wants, more than anything, is status. It's the the prestige and the things that come with having power that I think are just as important 
if not wants, more important. He wants recognition. He wants important things or important people to think he's important. Like, that's part of what makes him so fascinating is that he's trying to play the game to climb the ladder, not to get control, but so that people will think he matters. Yeah. And so this, if anybody's going to respect a style flex, yeah, it's going to be Orson it's Krennic. Krennic. And it works on him beautifully. It works. Oh my it, God. It works. He looks scared. He's all sweaty. This is like the most like ruffled we see him uh, until like, until uh, the top of Scarif Tower, basically. Right. Um, he's, but he like is really good at, at, at covering that up. Cause he's a pro at this. He's done this his whole life. He covers his insecurity or his, um, like incompetence with like talk and blather, right? Right. He's gonna he's gonna puff himself up and talk about how this wasn't his fault. And it, I it truly deserve was not. an audience with the Empire. It was not his fault. To be it, fair. Like, to be fair. <laughs> what what Vader is mad about is not Krennic's fault, but that's not what Vader's here to talk about, actually. Right. It's um yeah, Krennic tries to pass the buck onto Tarkin. He says <laughs> it was General Tarkin that ordered the the strike. Who's coming to Tarkin? Suggested the test. Okay, it was. He's he says that, and he says, you know, I deserve an audience with the Empire, and which is so like, he he. It's very ballsy. Yeah. To say that to Darth Vader, um, and. So Krennic is, is, keeps talking because he has gotten out of things before with talk, right? Yeah. Um, and, but I think he, he, he misreads why Vader is so mad. It's not that, because I think Krennic thinks that Vader's mad because the strike happened without his, like, permission. But this, but Vader is mad because the strike happened at all. Like, right. you should not have done that because now I have to try to explain to the Senate who's not long for the, I think the Senate's going to last another like four days at most. <laughs> um, Cause they, they, they get rid of the Senate. They dissolve the Senate at the beginning of a new hope. Right. The Imperial Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. Um, so like, he's like, I have to go tell the Senate that Jetta was destroyed in a mining accident. And I have to cover all of this up because we cannot let people know we have this. And that's why I'm mad. And you're trying to tell me that it's someone else's problem. Like, <laughs> A city destroyed. An Imperial facility openly attacked. Like, don't. Don't do that. No. Tarkin's a buddy, an old war buddy of mine. <laughs> yeah, we fought in the Clone Wars. He served me well in the Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why that's why Vader's mad. So Krennic's totally misstepped here. Um, and so, so Vader, Vader keeps moving. And he keeps, like, keeps shifting around and he walks around Krennic a couple of times and he stands up close to him as an intimidation tactic and keeps him on his toes and on the defensive, right? Like Vader is fully in control of and this scene. And he lets scene. his cape billow much more dramatically than Krennic's <laughs> cape. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's flexing really hard and it's, and it, it works right up until it doesn't because I really, I really like the, the force choke, obviously, that's that's a good move. The pun is great. We'll talk about that in a second. But when Vader drops Krennic to the ground with that, with the force choke, says the thing, and walks away, Krennic's last thing to do is to smile. 
And I think that's because it just it just kind of occurred to me that I think it's because Vader has shown his hand a little bit on what makes him mad and what he's willing to do when he's mad. And I think I think Krennic is like, oh, okay, like I'm still in command. I've talked my way out of this and I know what makes Vader tick. Like I, I now have collected this information that I can use and I get to still run this joint. I have everything I've ever wanted. And that's that to me is what Krennic is smiling about. Yeah, Krennic, Krennic definitely feels like he scored a win. Um, he hasn't. He, <laughs> <laughs> he's wrong about that. I mean, for the time being, he's correct. But he he's on Vader's radar, which I don't think you want to be on. Um, he's definitely on Tarkin's list of people to replace and supplant and basically eliminate. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, you know, he's he's not in a good position in any way. And the one project he's attached himself to and kind of put his rubber stamp on as I did this um, is a liability more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's supposed to be kept a secret. Yeah. and So no one will know that he did it. He's out here trying to get fame and recognition, and if if anything bad happened, it wasn't his fault. It was somebody else. And what's <laughs> what he needs to realize is that he is irrelevant um, to everything, and that his destiny is to be either, if they win, attached to a project that must operate in secret as a subordinate to somebody who, who ranks above him, mm-hmm. or if they lose, he dies. Like... That's it, actually. Yeah, and He's... he doesn't realize that those that's what the stakes are. He thinks the stakes are uh, we win and somebody gets all the credit and recognition and glory for creating such an awesome weapon. And it's or, me. <laughs> and, it's, and it better be me. Uh, not, um, not Tarkin. My achievement. My achievement, not yours. And, uh, and, and or the other side of that for him is um, they lose or it fails and... Uh, and he's going to try, and he'll blame Galen Erso. Like, yeah. he thinks right now he's untouchable. And he thinks that having Vader call him in specifically is, is yeah, like, terrifying, but also, like, ah, Vader knows who I am. Like, <laughs> I can use this. Yes. Vader force-choked me. I can use this. <laughs> I am important. <laughs> um, I want to I wanna ask you a question. Yes. This isn't in the notes, and it's not on the agenda. <gasps> I know. Well, then what am I to do? I, I'm just going to off the cuff. Here we go. Okay. It's a little weird that this is a scene with Vader, right? Like, it's kind of out of nowhere. And it doesn't need to be Vader. Like, it could be just about anybody. It needs to be somebody who outranks Tarkin. So I guess it, it could be the Emperor. It, it strikes me as odd that the movie takes a beat here to introduce Darth Vader... Uh, give us some visual cues as to what his whole deal is give us this whole long dialogue where he intimidates the heck out of Krennic and chokes him and then walks off basically consequence free for Krennic like there's a lot of ways that this scene could have gone you could invent a new character that outranks Krennic you could uh, just have him be on a video call with somebody like there's lots of stuff you could do, but this extremely dramatic moment is punctuated by an appearance by our best friend and favorite person to be scared of in the Star Wars, 
uh, Darth Vader. <laughs> and he's here now, and we love him, and it's a great scene. Do you think it really needs to be a Darth Vader scene, though? I think it does. I think it does, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, Not because this movie specifically needs Darth Vader in it, but I think where this movie lies in the timeline between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, I think it's important that Darth Vader is is shown in the in-between times. I think it's not necessarily important for the plot of this film. The scene maybe didn't need to happen. We could have even just gotten Vader at the end in the hallway. Yeah, I feel and like, that would I have feel been like cool. there's there's room to say there could be a cut of a movie of this movie out there where it's just Vader taking care of the fleet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think that it's important to show, like you said, the the little bit of background of where he's at these days with the Bacta and the cultists and all of that. I think that's important because we don't get that in A New Hope. We don't get that kind of until kind of until um, Return of the Jedi, really. Um, we get, a, you know, like you said, that scene with the, the helmet. Yeah. Um, which I'm pretty... Sh- I, I agree. I think it's in Empire. Oh, good. I'll just have to rewatch them again. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, but I think that... Um, uh, I think it's important in the context of the, of the saga as a whole to give Vader more background and and like backstory like we've got his backstory and we've got what he's up like in the prequels and we know what he's up to in the original trilogy um but to fill in his in-between i think it's not i don't think it's just fan service i think it's important to give us a a little bit more of what his character is like in a new hope i think that this this movie serves best as a prequel to a new hope and not as a sequel to Revenge of the Sith. And I think, uh, yeah, more Vader content just adds more context. For when we do see Vader um, doing Vader things, both at the end of the film and in A New Hope. Yeah. Which is a popular watch order, right? Like, watch Rogue One, then watch A New Hope. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I also think that, like, narratively, this becomes Chekhov's Vader, right? <laughs> like, we, yeah. we we see Vader once. We need to see him again. It would be weird to just see him the one time doing the thing. Um, so let's have a, a moment to establish his power level, both within the Empire and as a, a wizard. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and his, yeah, his Empire power as well as his power in the Force. Yeah. His, because we, we see him do a lot in the original trilogy but i think here what we're seeing is his power to like hey you come to my house where i can tell you what you're doing wrong and it's not committee meetings and it's not you know it's it's this is vader at the you know at the very very beginning of the empire not the very not the the beginning of the empire but like right at the dissolution of the senate we see him and how he's controlling things behind the scenes, um, building the, you know building the Death Star and feeding the Senate answers like oh no it was a mining accident blah 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 you know it's 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 imp- it's important context to yeah. a lot of things that happen in A New Hope. All right. 
Because they mentioned the Senate in The New Hope. And if you'd never seen the prequels, you wouldn't really know what the Senate was about. Right. Well, even the Imperial Senate was like a different body than the Republic Senate. Or... Exactly. So like it, 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 it was a, you know, a shell. It wasn't really... It was just yeah. there to keep the planets in line, right? Think that they had representation. Yes. Um, and so he, he, you know, we see something that, that the Senate can influence or something yeah. here in the scene. I agree. So now it's time to talk about the most controversial thing in all of Rogue One. Yeah. I. You know what? I think you're right. This might... <laughs> no, this might be the second most controversial thing in all of Rogue One. What's the, I think what's the, the most, most controversial? The most controversial thing, I think, is the appearance of Dr. Evanson and Ponda Bamba on Jedha. Oh, uh, you best watch yourself, because uh, <laughs> that's a great reference. Um, it's a great reference. It totally <laughs> is. But, like, it, it it asks a lot for you to assume that they made it, made it off planet and, and everything before. Well, we have an answer for that, uh, and you can find out what it is by listening to the Clonosaurus Rex short on our yep. Patreon. Yep. Um, <laughs> but perhaps the most second most contentious thing in all of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is the line... Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, Director. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, Director. Uh, as Darth Vader is force choking, Director Krennic, of course. It's, I think it's amazing. It's brilliant. Uh, I think it's brilliant. No, I think no it's contest. A, I think it's 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 so Anakin Skywalker. I'm not even going to sit here and pretend and play devil's advocate, Alice. It's hilarious and great and tells us a lot about Darth Vader. Like, there's there's plenty of textual evidence that Anakin Skywalker is a snarky dude who loves to crack jokes and, and make fun of every situation. Yeah. There's tons of textual evidence that Vader himself is not always serious that that yeah. he will he will crack a joke i find your lack of faith disturbing is a, <laughs> that's funny it's one of the first things we see him do and it's a funny joke while he chokes a guy like uh i don't know what to tell anybody who's like that line ruins the scene for me because it establishes that he's extremely threatening and casual about it uh and I and powerful. It. He's not even looking at Krennic when he starts choking him, right? Like, yeah. look at that power that he's got. It's, it's. I think it's excellent. Yeah. I have no notes. <laughs> uh, there's, there's another great scene where he force chokes somebody through a video screen, uh, uh, across starships, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. Field uh, promotes the next guy just right there, <laughs> just right then and there. I'm like, that's hilarious. Uh, like. I mean, yes, a man is dead and Vader killed him, but it's That's bad. funny. Like when when Vader uses that power or uses any force power at all, he's he's flexing super hard. Again, he is the king of that. Um and he's he's saying like like don't like don't mess with me. Like don't like you can't tell me what to do. I and, see and that choke your on your aspirations. Facade. Yeah, he's like he specifically says he doesn't make another joke like, oh, are you choking on, you know, or, or, you know, he says, be careful not to choke on your aspirations, which is funny because of aspiration. It's fu that's funny. Um, <laughs> but also because, yeah, Krennic says I'm still in command. Like, <laughs> OK, he's like really excited. He's like, oh, I got Vader on my team. I'm still in command. This is awesome. 
and Vader's like, no, don't get too, don't get cocky, kid. Like, (laughs) like, uh, I'm still in charge. I'm in command. Yeah. And uh, I will, I could literally kill you without even looking at you if I wanted to. Don't mess with me. I think it's great. Now, Krennic gets the wrong message here. Of um, course. But I think... (laughs) He smiles. It's... It's too good. It's I think, too good. I think Vader's really just trying to get through to this man that his petty little game is so not even close to what's happening here. Like, you are underestimating my power, the power of the Emperor, the power of the Empire. Like, you're underestimating everything because all you care about is your rise to influence. And, and you need to be careful. You need to stop, actually. <laughs> um, you need to be careful. You need to watch out because you are dealing with forces, literal forces, beyond your control. Yep. Um, and he's, I don't know. I think it's a great moment. And Vader should always have a little bit of sass. And I think always. it's part of what adds to his menace. Um, his phantom menace, as it were. Whoa! <laughs> All right, on that note, that's <laughs> it. That's it for this episode. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Rogue Fun, a podcast story. Um, this was a long one, but I think we covered a lot of really good ground. I agree. Uh, yeah, and if, if you want to have an even more in-depth conversation about this, you could always find us on the internet. Yes, find the show uh, on Twitter at RogueFunPod. And you can also find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Alice White, THP, which stands for Those Happy Places, which is the podcast that we do about theme parks, rides, and attractions, and how we treat them as literature. And if that sounds like something you are interested in, you can find that uh, on Twitter, that show on Twitter at Happy Places Pod. Yeah, and I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Uh, Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I am always on Twitter. Um, I'm never not. uh, I'm on Twitter right now while I'm saying this. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, Yeah, we're on the internet. You can find us on Twitter. Um, I'm also on Instagram at AliceWhiteTHP if Instagram is more your speed. Um, Message us anywhere for a link to our Discord server where our conversations are more than just 240 characters um 280 characters i think it's I think 280 yeah 280 uh more than 280 characters uh in-depth discussions um if tumblr is your scene you can find the show uh it's um roguefunpodcast.tumblr.com um and we i post a lot of fan art and gifts and fun stuff there if that is your and fan fiction if that's your jam find us there yeah uh coming up uh, in May, there will be another screening of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, on our yes. Discord server. So make sure if you are interested in watching the film with us and kind of uh, deconstructing these scenes as they happen live in the film, uh, join us for that. Uh, we're going to have a Discord screening sometime soon. We're also going to have all sorts of other Discord fun like we talked about at the top of the episode. So make sure you're joining us there. Uh, yeah. And I want to take one more chance to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash those happy places. Yes, patreon.com slash those happy places. Lots and lots of different tiers that you can explore um, with rewards like stickers and postcards and bonus episodes for people at all levels, uh, including the aforementioned um, Clonosaurus Rex 
uh, episode that we uh, we talk about Dr. Evanson and Ponda Baba a little bit and um, uh, and some outtakes from our most recent series that we're doing on those happy places all about the enchanted tiki room yeah, called uh, Birds of Paradise. Birds of Paradise, which is set to be the hearts of darkness to those happy places uh, uh, apocalypse to the, now. <laughs> to the enchanted tiki rooms <laughs> apocalypse now. <laughs> Um, uh, it's going to be great. Uh, we hope that you join us there for that. Yeah, and I think that's uh, I think that's everything, uh, buddy. Thank you so much for joining me on this uh, on this adventure. Alice, this was a really fun episode to do. As usual, I do not know how you get me onto this U wing, uh, <laughs> and I do not know why you set up a recording studio inside of it. But uh, Rogue Fun is one of my favorite podcasts in the world. And I am so happy to be a part of it uh, and to discuss this amazing movie with you. So thank you for being my co-host. Thank you so much. And join us next month when we talk about the uh, the next scenes in, in Rogue One. We're doing all of the stuff on Yavin before Scarif, from the council meeting to the gathering of the troops to the naming of Rogue One and the departure for Scarif. We're going to cover all of that next month on Rogue Fun, a podcast story. And in the meantime, hey, buddy. Yeah. May the force be with you. May the force be with you.